because we're going to be looking at parts of it. And so uh, this is a little bit unusual, but truth be told, when we are going through an Old Testament narrative in the first quarter of the year, we are generally doing something like that. So when we w- went through the book of Exodus, we, um, we did all the plagues in like one week, right? So like that was heavy lifting. So we're doing a little bit of heavy lifting this morning, but it's okay because it's going to be good because uh, the word of God is so good for our lives. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open up to the book of Joshua. It is early on in the Old Testament, and we're going to be beginning in chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, that is okay. Inside your sermon notes, there's a QR code. You can scan it, and it will take you to Bible Gateway, which then has all of the verses that we're going to be looking at together. You know, a movie I really enjoy is called Dan in Real Life. Anyone ever seen that movie? It's clean. It's helpful. It's one of those rare clean movies that's comical. I really like it. It has Steve Carell in it. And the underlying premise is that you cannot fall in love in three days. Okay? The single dad named Dan has this middle daughter in eighth grade who thinks that she has fallen in love with her science partner after knowing this boy for three days. And the father, of course, thinks it's foolish only for then the dad to then fall in love with a woman that he has only known for, can you guess it? Three days. That's right. It's like you've seen the movie. Uh, but but the, the principle is generally true, right? You can't love someone you don't know. You can be infatuated by them. You can be interested in them. You can desire him or her. But how can you love something that you don't know? Right? So in general, it's like, well... Have you even seen them drive in winter snow? I mean, because that makes a big difference on whether you can be with them forever. You know what I'm saying? Love is what God calls his people to show him because God has shown covenant love to them. Joshua, in our passage this morning, calls Israel to be careful to love God. Well, how are they supposed to do that? And what does that look like? And why is love, of all the things, why is love the standard that Joshua calls Israel to have towards God? I think this is actually all really important for us as Christians if we want to understand what it means to know God, to follow him, not just in word, but in real life, with our actions, what we do just not in here, but outside of this building, This matters for how we see God, how we relate to God, and how we follow him. And so that's why we are in the book of Joshua. So remember, the book of Joshua is a book about God, not about Joshua, but about God, who has kept his promise to his people, even when it looked impossible. So brothers and sisters, for the semi-annual last time, or whatever the word is I'm looking for, I can't think of it, For the penultimate time, let us recite our memory verse out of the book of Joshua, chapter 21, verse 45, together. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Wow. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we pray that this morning we would see your faithful love. We would see what it looks like to live in covenant with you 
And we pray that, Lord, your spirit would attend to the proclamation of your word, that it would lead to transformation, not just of our minds, but of our heads and our hearts and our very lives. Lord, do a good work this morning, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, because we're going through five chapters, let me give you a single short summary of what I think these last five chapters are about. So that if you get nothing else, and so if you're at lunch and you're like, wait, we really went through five chapters? Like, what, how do we summarize this? This is it. Here's what we want you to walk away with. God won't stop keeping his promises. Therefore, Christian, we should fear, choose, and serve him by going all in. God won't stop keeping his promises, so we should therefore fear, choose, and serve him by going all in. We're going to look at it in this way. Chapters 20 and 21, the two types of cities that are mentioned. We're going to look at chapter 22, a faithful witness. And then we're going to look at chapters 23 and 24, two different charges that are given. So let's look at chapters 20 and 21. Now remember, as a recap, Israel was enslaved in Egypt, but delivered by God from slavery to be his people. And, and through miraculous signs of judgment against Egypt, Yahweh has rescued his people, brought them into the promised land, where they would be God's people, where they would live under God's rule and blessing, and be in God's place for them, the promised land. So Joshua is the book of Israel entering the promised land by faith, and God goes before them, defeating enemies that are stronger than them and more numerous than them. And what we've seen in the book of Joshua isn't so much about Joshua as it has been about Yahweh, our promise-making, promise-keeping, covenant-keeping God who fulfills his promises even when they look impossible. So Israel has now been given the land to them by God, and they've portioned it out according to each tribe as their inheritance from God. And now that the land has been divided as an inheritance, and now that it's governed by the law of God, Israel is now transitioning to now living for Yahweh in the promised land. And so each of the remaining chapters in Joshua include important aspects of living in the promised land, in covenant with God, where he rules. So chapter 20 is, is, is really about this thing called cities of refuge. So even in the promised land, accidents would happen. So God instructed Joshua, as he had instructed Moses, to set up six different cities, three on one side of the Jordan, three on the other side of the Jordan, that would, be a, that would have a special status of a city of refuge. Okay, so in those days, living in Israel meant that if you murdered someone, you would be put to death. But if you killed someone accidentally, you could flee to a city of refuge and save your life. Okay, so if someone's chopping down a tree and the axe handle slips out of your hand, hits the other person, your coworker, and it splits their skull, but you kill them, but not on purpose, but by accident, then he or she could run to a city of refuge, plead their case to the elders of the city, and find safety until the trial ended. Okay, so in verse 2 of chapter 20, it says this. Say to the people of Israel, appoint the cities of refuge 
of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood, a, a blood relative. He shall s- flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. So this is not the same thing as a sanctuary city in the United States uh, where, uh, where they, they limit the cooperation with the national government's effort to enforce immigration laws. The cities of refuge weren't about escaping law, but actually about upholding it and being careful to not wrongly avenge blood. So these cities of refuge were from God. He initiated them. He wanted them in Israel. They display both our human need for safety, and they point us forward as people who, when there is danger, we are to take refuge in God. So these cities aren't even just cities under themselves. They point us forward as people who are called to take refuge in God. Consider how the writer of Hebrew describes Christians as those who flee for refuge to Christ, who is described as a sure and steady anchor. In Hebrews chapter 6, it says this, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Here's what the author of, of, of Hebrews is saying. Christians are people who flee for refuge in Christ. And it is in Christ where we have a sure and steady anchor for our soul, hope. So that's chapter 20. Joshua chapter 21 is now all about these cities for the Levites. Right, so up to this point in the book of Joshua, every tribe has received their portion of land. They've received an inheritance except for the Levites. They were not allotted any land, uh, but they were given different cities. So in chapter 21, it just lists those. 13 cities from one tribe, 10 cities from another tribe, totaling altogether 48 cities for the tribe of Levi. In fact, you can see that in verse 41 of chapter 21 the cities of the Levites in the midst of the possession of the people of Israel were in all 48 cities with their pasture lands. And so then we get this really great summary statement of the chapter, but also of the book of Joshua. That's actually verses 43 through 45 of chapter 21. And it says this, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it, And they settled there. 
And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Now we're looking at this at a 30,000 foot view. Lord willing, next week Austin is going to unpack this very thing for us. But I do want us to notice a couple things here. The promises of God to Israel have not failed. Israel took possession of the land. They settled there. They had rest. They had peace, just as God promised. Brothers and sisters, do you realize that the promises of God are not easily broken? We're fickle people. but We easily change loyalties and beliefs and affections at the drop of a hat. We often wonder whether we can truly trust the promises of God. We rarely see amazing acts that are recorded in the Bible, and so our hearts can so easily become fickle. But we do not need to doubt God's faithful word or doubt his care towards his people. No one is overlooked by God. No one is missed. No one is ignored. None of his people are forgotten. We can trust him. And so we, we think of things like Romans chapter 15 that says this, for whatever was written in former days, like Joshua, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So as we think about the book of Joshua and the promises of God, part of the reason that they're there is for our encouragement, that we would have hope to continue to endure whatever difficulty and hardships are coming our way this week. So if you have a nasty meeting with a boss, remember the faithful promises of God. If you just blow it with a client, remember the faithful promises of God. If you have a blow up with your spouse, Remember the faithful promises of God. Remember that God's promises are not easily broken. So we can take heart. So when you don't know where your next money is going to come from to pay those bills, the book of Joshua is meant to give us hope and encouragement. That God is not absent in your struggle. When you're dealing with the death of a loved one and it still hurts and stings, God is not far from you. When people have betrayed you and abandoned you and left you, you can remember that the promises of God are to never leave or forsake you, brothers and sisters. God's promises are so good, they all come to pass. Every single one of them. If you ask my kids, like, like 1% of my promises to them come to pass but not with God. Every single one of his promises come to pass. God won't stop keeping his promises. So we believer should fear, choose, and serve him by going all in. Let's look at chapter 22 together, uh, this witness. Now, if you've been following the book of Joshua, we know that there were two and a half tribes 
that received their inheritance or their land before entering the promised land. So even though they received the land before the Jordan River, uh, these tribes, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half of the tribe of Manasseh, had been fighting alongside the other tribes as a unified Israel the entire time. And now that the tribes had received their land inheritance, it was time for those two and a half tribes to go back across the Jordan River to go back and to settle their land. That's what it says in verse 4 of chapter 22. Now and now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. But that came with a warning. And the warning was this, don't forget what the Lord has done for them and continue to love the Lord. So for example, I was talking to someone who, who works for Spectrum Internet the other day. He described the internet like this, the closer you are to the hub, the stronger your internet connection is. So the further from the hub, the weaker and slower it is, right? You guys get this? It's like water pressure in a house, okay? Well, that's what Israel was afraid was going to happen. They're afraid that the tribes that were on the other side of the Jordan River, the, the further that they were from the other tribes, they were going to forget to love the Lord and forget to be faithful to him. And so they warned them, hey, don't forget about this. In fact, that, that's what it says in verse 5. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord, your God, and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Do you guys remember the very first thing that Israel did when they came into the promised land? They celebrated the Passover and they built an altar to the Lord, remembering all that Yahweh had done for them. So naturally, the two and a half tribes uh, that were on the other side of the Jordan, uh, they wanted to, to have a warning that they would not forget God. And so they made an altar to remember the loyal work of God for Israel. In fact, look at verse 10 with me. Uh, and it says this, And when they came to the region of the Jordan, that is in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. But all the other tribes of Israel, they got confused as to what that was. They thought that, they had that those two and a half tribes had abandoned the Lord. And they're like, what are you doing? Like, are you serious? After all this, the first thing you do is you build an altar to something else? And so they get really upset. It says in verse 12, And when the people of Israel heard of it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. Now remember, Shiloh was where the Ark of the Covenant was. It's where the tent of meeting, it's where the presence of God was. And the other tribes say to them, Haven't you had enough bloodshed? that now you want to cause more trouble? After all we've been through, you want to make a mess with Yahweh? <laughs> it's not going to go well for you or for us. And you can understand why. Loyalty to God is an all-in, not toes-in. Loyalty to God is all-in, not toes-in. 
It wouldn't matter if they gave lip service to God among the tribes only to when they're alone to abandon their commitments and to abandon God himself. Right? For us, it doesn't matter how loudly you sing the songs on Sunday when we gather together if we're only going to abandon God and his word for our lives and in our actions once we walk out those doors. Commitment to God is an all-in commitment because God's commitment to us has been all-in already. Right? God's commitment to us wasn't after a couple rounds of interviews. It wasn't after seeing the merits of our lives or what we could bring to the table for the kingdom of God. God's commitment to us is that while we were still sinners and enemies towards him, Jesus lovingly and willingly went to the cross to take the wrath of God and the punishment that we deserved so that we would experience the love and commitment of God that only Jesus deserves. So our response to God's incredible love of an all-in commitment towards us, not just when we gather, but an all-in commitment even when we leave these doors. So what would it look like in your life to have an all-in commitment to God? Would it look like starting a Bible study at your work? Would it look like becoming a, a friendship family with IFI for international students? Would it look like finding someone in the body and begin to read the Bible together just as iron sharpens iron? Is there something holding you back that you would say, God, this is too much. I couldn't possibly do this. Brothers and sisters, God has already gone all in for us. And so let us in loving response go all in with him, not just toes in. See, they weren't actually abandoning Yahweh. Those two and a half tribes were setting up a memorial in order to continue to serve Yahweh. Look at verse 24 with me. They're saying, no, but we did it from fear that in time to come, your children might say to our children, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you you people of Reuben and people of Gad. You have no portion in the Lord. So your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. Therefore we said, let us now build an altar, not for burnt offering, nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you and between our generations after us. See, the realities of the two and a half tribes of of Israel that were on the other side of the Jordan, they were going all in, not just toes in. They were purposely putting things in place so that they would continually worship and follow Yahweh. And so once it is explained, all the tribes of Israel are okay with it. And the chapter concludes with this in verse 34. The people of Reuben and the people of Gad called the altar witness for, they said, it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. I wonder what type of commitments we have put in our lives so that our neighbors might know, so that the people in our family might know, so that our coworkers might know that the Lord is 
God. Do we have some of those commitments that we have made known? These tribes were all in, not just chosen. Brothers and sisters, God won't stop keeping his promises. So we should fear and choose and serve him by going all in. Let's look at this final part, chapters 23 and 24, these two different charges that happen. In Joshua chapter 23, Joshua brought together the leaders of Israel with one last speech, one last charge to them. What are words of hope and mission that Joshua hands off the baton to the next runners? Well, first he appeals to what they already know. In verse 3, he says this, And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. They personally had seen all that Yahweh had done for them. It wasn't rumor. It wasn't hearsay. It wasn't legend. They have witnessed it. And then Joshua appeals to what is currently true, that God had given them the promised land to them. And so finally, the response that Israel is supposed to have, that the leaders of Israel are supposed to have, is not to be passive, but to be responsive to God. See, God never calls anyone to just know things about him. What does Joshua call the leaders to do? Three things. To keep, to cling, and to love. Look at that in the text. Look at verse 6 of chapter 23 with me. Joshua is speaking to them. He says this, Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. So the law of Moses was the guide for how Israel was to live in relationship with God and with each other. And so to respond to God in faith was to obey what God commanded. It was also to cling to God in verse 8. They were to cling to the Lord. Isn't that an odd picture? Like, like how do you cling to God? Well, it's actually the same word that's translated in Genesis chapter 2 when it talks about a husband and wife who hold fast to them, where God says that man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife or cling to her. So to cling to God is to stay so close to him that no sin can get in between you and him. To cling to God is to strategically plan for time alone with him, for prayer and praise and the study of his word. Right? To cling to God is to trust in his promises, not to doubt them. But they were also, if you keep reading, they were to love the Lord. Well, that's an odd thing, isn't it? Why would you have to warn someone to love the Lord? Because love grows cold. If it's not cultivated, picked, plucked, mended, and cared for. Love is like a garden. And when you do not attend to that garden, it does not turn out well. Love isn't 
a sprint. It's a marathon. It's not what, how you feel about someone after three days. Sorry, Dan, in real life. It's for a lifetime. What will love prevent Israel from doing? By loving the Lord, it will prevent them from straying from God's word, either from the left or from the right. Right? Because you can fall off the horse on both sides. So what does it look like to fall off the horse on both sides? Well, we, we actually talked about it in a Sunday school class not too long ago. It's about taking God's word and then sometimes making it say more than what it actually says, or it's taking God's word and making it say less than what it actually says. Why would we be tempted to do either one of those things? How would we begin to do that? Well, we make sure we don't fall off the horse on both sides at friendship, in part, by having elders who are known to be wise men to lead the, the, the congregation who know the word. Another way that we prevent ourselves from falling off the horse on either side is by going through all of the word, not just part of it. That's why we're doing five chapters this morning in the book of Joshua. Okay, like, I don't think most sane people do those kinds of things, but we are. I don't think people are always just being deceitful if they're not saying what the passage says or if they're over-speaking. But I do think that oftentimes it's about preserving culture and it's about putting up walls that might prevent actual sins or, or, or maybe a rejection of those walls and then they think there's no actual rules. Well, here's the best thing to do instead. To keep, to cling, and to love. It is the love of the Lord that will prevent us from veering off path. Right? That's what the scripture reading was all about in Matthew 22. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So why is love the standard? Because it's the motivation of God. God saved Israel because he loved Israel. Not because Israel deserved it. It's the motivation of God towards us. Jesus Christ is the pinnacle of knowing God and understanding what it means to follow God. So for us to understand God's love, we need to understand how Jesus, the Messiah, fits into this. And here's what we read in Romans 5. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For us to understand God's love, we need to understand why Jesus died for us. So then Joshua's speech here to these leaders ends with a warning. If they do not keep, cling, and love, they will have wandered, detached, and hated. Instead of keeping the law, they'll have wandered from it. Instead of clinging to God, they will have detached themselves from him. And if they do not continue to love God, they will love other things, which will be to ultimately hate God. Right? That, that's what the warning is beginning in verse 15. 
But just as all the good things of the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. And we know that if the leaders of Israel don't emulate this keeping and clinging and loving of God, if the leaders don't emulate that, well then certainly Israel won't either. So let us be people. When people ask, well, what does it mean to, to be part of Friendship Baptist Church? Is, let us say it is people who keep the word of God, who cling to the Lord, and who love him with all that we are. So then Joshua meets with the leaders. And then finally in, jo- in chapter 24, the last book of the book of Joshua, the last chapter, Joshua gathers all of Israel together and he reminds them of their history. Not of their recent history, but their entire history in verses 1 to 12. He begins with Abraham, where the first promise of the promised land takes place. He, he takes them through the history of Egypt and then Israel entering the promised land, and he reminds them that God's mercy and grace has been with them every step of the way. It wasn't by their own might. It wasn't by their own strength. It wasn't by their genius military campaigns. It has always been by the sustaining power of God. And so Joshua summarizes this in chapter 24, verse 12, and he says this. It was not by your sword or bow. This is God speaking. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Meaning God has given them to Israel. God has revealed himself to them and has proven his faithfulness again and again, and again, in every chapter of the book of Joshua. But simply knowledge of God alone doesn't save. Knowledge of God should always drive us to live for God. If you know lots of stuff and never apply it, it never does any good. Who cares if you know one plus one equals two if you always write down three? Unless we are the knowledge of God drives us to change our affections and priorities about God, who cares what we confess? See, but this time, Joshua doesn't tell Israel to keep and to cling and to love. This time, Joshua calls Israel to fear, to choose, and to serve. Look at verse 14 with me. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, 
Joshua is saying, we will serve the Lord. God has kept his promises in every word and in every way, brothers and sisters. Let us therefore move in confidence of God's perfect and loyal love and let us in response be loyal to him. God's promises are great, but they were not impossible. Therefore, let us hear what Joshua calls to Israel to fear God, to choose to follow him, and to serve him all our days. Because love is not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's not something that we do for three days and then change our minds on. It's something that we go all in on. And we go all in, not just toes in, because God, in his mercy and love, has already gone all in on us. Before we knew God, he sent Christ. Before we had an inclination to trust God, he had already sent Jesus. So let us be people who are not known to be great sprinters, but in the life of faith, be wonderful marathon runners. Let us be people who fear God, who choose to follow him and serve him all of our days. Brothers and sisters, God won't stop keeping his promises. So fear, choose, and serve him by going all in, not just toes in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's easy to say the words all in. It's hard to do more than dip our toes because it means that we don't get to dictate the path that we go on. It means that we have to be led by your spirit and trust an unknown path. And so we need everyday reminders that this unknown path isn't unknown to you and the path that you are taking us on is, is a great path because you are a faithful God. You've always been faithful. You'll never stop being faithful. Even when we're faithless, you are faithful. God, we confess that it's easier to control when we go toes in. And Lord, we pray that you would move in us that we would just jump in head first. Because with you, there is fullness of joy. With you, Father, perfect love casts out fear. With you comes life and salvation and forgiveness and restoration and adoption into the family of God. With you comes eternal forever life. With you comes wholeness. With you comes true joy. And so, Father, we pray that by trusting in Jesus, we would be ready to receive all that you have for us, 
and then to join in your mission of proclaiming your wonderful excellencies. So God, help us to be people who fear you, who choose to serve you, and will follow you all of our days. Lord, do that good work in us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.